0: Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Attorney Anna Byrne understands that life is unpredictable. Widowed at age 28, she knew she must continue to grow despite the adversity and emotional devastation she was experiencing at that time. Her journey has taught her about the kind of relationships clients need in times of transition and stress. As an attorney, Anna founded Kurt Burn LLC, a life and legacy planning company, out of a desire to create estate plans that encompass more than just the transfer of tangible assets. She also founded Kendall Wealth LLC, an independent registered investment advisor company that offers planning and investment management services. Anna's goal is to help her clients express and pass along not only their assets, but also their values with the lowest expense and tax impact possible to create a true legacy. She's a member of the Massachusetts and New York Bar Association's She's been honored by Lawyers Weekly as top woman of law in Massachusetts in 2014 and was named a super lawyer by Thomson Reuters from 2015 to present. She's also the author of two books, including A Widow's Guide, which was created to help women who are in their first year after losing a spouse, and The Inheritor's Guide, her new book, which is a manual for anyone who's lost a parent and needs to understand how to transfer wealth from one generation to the next. So we're so pleased to have Anna here today on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Welcome, Anna.
1: Thank you so much. What a what a wonderful introduction! It makes me feel uh, it makes me feel special.
0: (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you're a very accomplished woman, so I'm super excited to have you here. And I want to talk about all the things, all of those things, and books. And I also want to talk since since a lot of our most of our listeners are other women law firm owners, I really want to talk about the business aspect of growing your law firm and starting another wealth um, advisor business. So we're going to dig into all that, but before we do, let's start with you kind of telling us about your journey to becoming an attorney and starting your own practice and the incident that set you on this path.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I, I became a lawyer somewhat reluctantly. I kind of just really, it was something that my parents kind of said to to my brother and I one day when we were in high school, you know, Anna, you're older than your brother, so we just want, want to be very clear that we would like a doctor and a lawyer, so you're older, so you get to choose. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So,
1: That's fantastic, <laughs> yeah, so I kind of said, Okay, well, I guess um I really like chemistry, but physics was kind of a no go, so by default i I ended up becoming the lawyer so um so I didn't really know what I wanted to do i was really I really loved um international law. I had uh been an interpreter for the u s State Department. I kind of wanted to go down that international law path." And um, you know, life has a funny way of you know pointing you in a different direction than you least expected. And so that path, in a way, kind of closed for me when I got married really young. And um, you know, I chose love, and I'm so glad I chose love. <laughs> um, and my default uh, desire or kind of interest, I guess, in the law was really tax law. And I started off at the IRS, working there for a couple of years right after law school, and that was just not a good fit. I, I think it was just the government, it was the bureaucracy, it was just really the antithesis of how I operate—kind of fixing things and, and um, you know, just having process and systems and things that just worked a little bit more efficiently. And so I kind of came to a crossroads of really not knowing what to do, because, you know, tax is my default, and I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of at the apex of, you know, tax law. And then um, I ended up becoming a tax attorney for a wealth management firm. And this was at the end of the 90s, where the first dot com boom was really booming. And I became kind of a tax advisor to some extremely interesting and wealthy uh, clients that we had who had Startups who were selling those targets and those startups were going public. It was a really fascinating um, opportunity to you know see tax from kind of the private client perspective and um, become the expert in stock options and equity compensation planning and you know kind of uh, multi-generational estate planning and then you know tragedy struck me i became a widow at 28 and my husband died very very suddenly and it really just threw me um for a loop you know i really i i was in a way lost but yet more certain in that you know i needed to create a life for myself um, now that i had become single and you know it, it was a circuitous path ultimately but Ultimately, I realized that I wanted to marry my personal experience and my professional experience in a way that I could make a difference in people's lives. And that I could utilize what I learned, you know, personally in becoming a widow to help others who, who will be on this journey. You know, the one thing that is inevitable is that we will all reach our end point. You know, we don't know when that is. And what I learned through my personal experience is that, you know what? When it happens, you know, the biggest gift that you can give to your loved ones is a plan, you know, a plan that's clear, that not just outlines, you know, that you get the money or you get the insurance policy. It's just all of these other things like, you know, passwords, um, what I would hope for you if something were to happen. And so I ultimately ended up starting Eckhart Burn in 2009 out of, a desire to really help people do things differently. And earlier in my career, even after Ron died, I was very much a tax attorney. And I had this really interesting um, client, very successful client come to me and say to me, you know, Anna, I, you know, I'm really curious about revocable trusts, and I really, you know, want to understand what they are. So I would like for you to come in and and consult with me about what revocable trusts are and how they work. So I sat down, I explained this to him. I talked about all of the tax advantages and all of the reasons why this would be a much more efficient plan than having a will. And he said to me, okay, that sounds really good, but here's the thing, could you draft a trust for me that's 10 pages long, you know, regular single space with one inch margins with the signature page being part of the 10 page packet? And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, I don't think I could do that for you because I would have to leave a lot of things out that I would worry that if I left them out that all of a sudden, you know, we would need them for one reason or another. So he said, okay, fine, I really appreciate your honesty. So fast forward uh, four years, four years after I consulted with him, I get a call from the person who was named the executor uh, in his will, who tells me that he died very suddenly at the age of 55. And he died in an ambulance from a massive heart attack, leaving two young children and a wife and an extremely substantial estate in, in excess of, I think, $25 million. And at that moment, I was just struck by this feeling in the pit of my stomach that, you know what, I didn't reach him. I didn't reach him, I didn't use the right words, I didn't think about my personal experience and how I could have spoken to him differently. And I ended up administering this very substantial state and it took you know, probably three and a half years to kind of get it to to the end point for a variety of complex reasons. Um, But I realized that I needed to talk about love, I needed to talk about, you know, what this this would have meant to his wife, what this would have meant to his children, and really having, you know, a plan that was uh, articulating what he would want for his wife, what he would want for his kids and it would be done in a way that would be orderly and that it would not be expensive and take three and a half years. And so when I started Eckert Burn, it was really with this client in mind of, you know, there has got to be a different way to talk to clients about estate planning. And I really wanted to empower people by educating them about what estate planning is and how it actually works because there's so much information on the internet, there's so much information everywhere about estate planning, but it's really incomplete information. You hear a little bit about probate, you hear about beneficiaries, you hear about all of these different things, but it's disconnected. And so I decided that what I was going to do in the law firm was educate people about estate planning and how it actually worked. And then I was going to embark on creating estate planning in a way that was visual and understandable. Anyone who has ever done any estate planning knows that the language is so arcane, you know, that you your eyes, people's eyes glaze over when they start talking about wills, trusts, and, you know, beneficiaries and things like that. Um, and so I wanted to make things very visual so that people could follow along and so that we could be partners in this process of creating estate plans. And then I was going to make a commitment to administer plans in in an efficient and cost-effective way if they maintain the plan. And so that's what I did. I had this vision of, of creating a law firm that was focused on love rather than taxes. And I always told people, you know, the tax piece will follow along, you know, once we're clear in terms of what we want to achieve for your loved ones. And that's how it started. 2009 will be, gosh, 12 years. It's been 12 years in April. So I, I feel like I've done it and we have hundreds and hundreds of clients who've gone through the experience. And at the end of each each um, delivery of each kind of estate planning binder, people, you know, look, look at us and say, you know what? Thank you so much. I understand what I have and I feel at peace.
0: I love so many aspects of what you shared in your story because I, as a business owner, when we're thinking about our business, Oftentimes we sort of fall into attorneys will commonly fall into a practice area, maybe because they got their first job out of school or something, and then they sort of wind up doing something and then and then having to reverse engineer when you start looking into your branding and and looking at your purpose and why why you're doing the thing you're doing. And they have to go back and sort of figure out why does this matter to me? And your story. This really came from, it sounds like it really came from a place of very personal, not only your personal experience, but this experience very early on with a client. And it really caused you to reflect about what you truly wanted to be able to do with your law practice and how you wanted to be able to help people. So I love that you shared that because I think that's a piece for a lot of women law firm owners going in understanding why it is that they want to serve people in a particular way is so important to being able to have the kind of impact they want to have in the world. Right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, having passion for what you do, wherever it comes from, is so important. I think that people, you know, clients and, you know, referral partners really sense authenticity. You know, I I think that By having this deep passion allowed me to to miss that step of being insecure, you know, Mm -hmm. about what I was doing, you know, because I I, I think it would have been easy for me to say, gosh, you know, in the early years, you know, when, you know, I had some clients, but not a lot of clients. you know, am I really on the right track? I mean, you know, I had this one woman attorney actually early on. I couldn't believe that she said this to me, but it was my first year in the practice. And I was at this um, kind of bar um, event with other lawyers. And this other, this woman came up to me and I knew she, who she was. She had an estate planning practice, kind of a boutique practice with her and maybe an associate. And, you know, so I introduced myself and, You know, she said, oh, I I heard, you know, you started a firm. And I said, yes, you know, it's it's just a couple of months or whatever it was. And she looked at me and she said, well, what makes you think that you can do that? And I was so floored. I thought, Uh you know, you're older than me. Like, (laughs) you know, like I would have thought she would have offered words of wisdom. (laughs) But instead, she completely knocked my my legs out from under me and and i kind of just quickly recovered and i said well it must be you know what you experienced right (laughs) (laughs) Well, however many years ago it must be the same thing (laughs) but it was just shocking and so you know a moment like that when you're very vulnerable and feeling insecure about you know what's going to happen is this actually going to work um you know, I I felt like, no, you know, I'm following my heart, I'm following my passion, I know that this is, this is going to work, you know, so having that passion and also having that authenticity is so important, you know, to be able Mm -hmm. to articulate that story, whatever it is, you know, whatever that experience is, I think it's very important.
0: Well, you know, and, and that you know, you have someone who's coming from a mindset of lack and thinks that there's only mm-hmm. one pie, and if you get a bigger piece, then she does get gets a smaller piece. So it's a it's a real mindset issue, you know, that somebody is yeah. revealing they're revealing more about themselves than they are about you. And we also all start from the beginning. Like nobody just nobody comes out being an expert, you know, right out of law school or whatever schooling you have. You know, we all we all start at right, the beginning. Right. Right. I, I want to talk about, I know it was it was such a formative experience, in addition to being, you know, emotionally devastating experience to lose your spouse at such a young age. And I I think about, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, and it's very common for women in their in their 50s, 60s to lose a spouse. And we often see women who don't really think about the possibility of such a thing happening um until it happens. And when someone is later in life, then it becomes a real, you know, a, a challenge also because now you've also got your own mortality you're looking at a little closer to you. And so it's interesting to me that you had this experience early on in your life. And it probably really was a, a leapfrog kind of experience for you in that it it sort of uh, made you made you put you in a position where you were dealing with issues and thinking about things that you probably would not have thought about you know, you know had you not had that experience in your twenties. Did you find that to be the case?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it, it was the worst nightmare you know I ever had. Mm-hmm. You know it, I actually uh, Ron was thirty three, I was twenty eight. He was a lawyer. You know we just he went out for a walk you know, he went out for a walk with the dog in the morning and just didn't come back and was oh, killed. He was shot. He was shot to death, you know, so, yeah. and he, he was on his parents' property in the woods, you know, so it was just, it was just so uh, incredibly surreal and so devastating. I mean, he was just the, the love of my life. And I met him when I was 21 and just starting law school. I mean, it's just, you know, the kind of love that you have in your 20s, you know. Yeah. Um. But yet, you know, he had, I mean, just the story behind it is, you know, he actually had thought of things, you know, he had thought of, we did have uh, basic estate planning documents, he did have life insurance, he, I think it was, a week before he died, he loved Halloween, and he died on October 25th. So it's like the week before, you know, he loved going to cemeteries and Halloween, you know, spooky things. And I remember we went to when he that year we were living in in this pretty town of Hingham, Massachusetts, and there's this old cemetery, and he said, you know, let's just go, you know, to the cemetery. And so I said, Okay, fine, you know, let's go. And you know, he he explained to me, you know, exactly how he would want his female to be. And he then when he came back, he said something to me, he said he said, You know, Anna, if if something happened to you, I I would remarry and I would want you to do the same, you know. And then a week later he died. So just those those things that he said to me, you know, were so powerful because they fueled me, they fueled me to believe that love will conquer this horrible grief, it will conquer this terrible trial that I have to go through, it will conquer it all. I just had this deep, deep, deep belief that, you know, it would be okay and it would have to be okay because I would have to do this for him. You know, so many widows that I, I work with, you know, they endure this first year because that's what their spouse would want in some way. You know, it's just kind of getting through this grief. And then year two and year three are kind of all about kind of starting over and becoming their own person in year three. But the the experience was something that I just felt like everybody needed to have these conversations it's not just estate planning it's not just tax it's about love it's what you want you know for your person and to give them permission to do things and to secure them in a way that would give them the freedom to grieve you know grief is black and dark and it's it's debilitating in in its various faces that people endure, and the gift of an estate plan, the gift of having a well well organized plan, is the ultimate gift of love that you can give to your family. So, I this this just became my driving mission to help people articulate all of these aspects. I, I mean, I just had a prospective client call two weeks ago or last week, and. poor woman her husband drowned to death while on a vacation in um in the caribbean and her 17 year old son was with her husband and they had a plan and do you know what what wasn't documented was and were any of the passwords to any of his mobile devices so no no iphone access no ipad access and no computer access so you Lose access to the iCloud, you lose access to email, you lose access to everything. So, when I talk about estate planning, I talk about not just documents, I talk about all of these details. Where are you documenting these passwords? You know, what are your wishes for how you want that memorial and that funeral to look like? Because that's the first thing you have to lose after your spouse has suddenly died you want a roadmap, you want to know what that person would have wanted. So you don't have to think about it.
0: I'm sure it also just makes one of the hardest things to do when you're in that kind of emotional state is to make decisions. So if decisions right. are already made, then you just have to follow through with the thing. You know, if, if somebody's already told you this is what I want to happen, then you're not having to make hard decisions at a time in your mind is most Confused, right? Right. So, oh, absolutely. Can, and so, this this led you to create write your first book. How long after you went through this did you write The Widow's Guide?
1: Oh, many years. I was. I want to say. Let's see. The book came out in 2016. So probably 18 years after Ron mm-hmm. um, died, and you know it was really, in a way, I realized that even though i talked about estate planning and in in this way that i had decided i wanted to um create a law firm to mm-hmm. create these kind of comprehensive and holistic estate plans i felt like my story was just not out there and i didn't and i also felt like i i wanted to help more women that i than I could actually work with in my practice. And I also wanted to give women who I worked with a roadmap, right? Because in especially that first year, there's so much happening. There's so many timelines and deadlines. And, you know, it's difficult to remember all of these things. So I really wanted to create a guide for anyone that I was working with, for anyone that I couldn't work with, or anyone that just wanted to kind of get a better understanding of, of what things look like in, in terms of the process and 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 give them some hope that um you know I I went through this tragedy and I I survived and I, you know, took the lemons and I made the lemonade, you know, and I found love again and I ended up having a, a family again and you know, there there is hope, you know, and and I wanted to, to create this book as not just this guidebook, but kind of a ray of hope that you will get through this grief and there will be sunshine on the other side, whatever that may look like for you. And it also, I wrote it at a time when the guy who, who killed him was getting out on parole and I just felt like I needed to to tell the story get it out there. And uh, that was in 2016. So it was a very cathartic experience. It took much longer than I anticipated. I think I started writing the outline for the book five years before I actually <laughs> wrote it. So uh, so it was definitely a substantial undertaking in terms of time and, and emotion. You know, it was such a personal story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I just... I just published my uh, first book and it was not, and it's a very, it's not emotionally, you know, difficult at all, but it still took me like probably three years from the time I mm-hmm. first conceived of the idea to actually get it to get it, you know, out in the world. So I can only imagine what it must have done like for you. You didn't have to tell such a, a story so close to your heart and something that, you know, we lived through that was so difficult. But I'm imagining that a lot of other women attorneys, particularly other women estate planning attorneys, would probably really benefit from reading this book and kind of helping them to see, particularly if they're just starting out working with clients, see the, the from the perspective of someone who's lost a spouse, what they need to be alerting them for, you know, in the coming year.
1: Yeah, I actually was, um, I guess in early 2020, I attended Hackerling, which is the big um, trust in estates conference in um, Orlando uh, Mm -hmm. sponsored by the University of Miami. And I was sponsored um, to do a little book signing for the Widow's Guide. And it was very, very interesting because there were a number of people who came to the booth and, you know, said, and they were law professors. And they said, oh, you know, it's so interesting that you're writing about this because we feel like this is this is like the 2.0 of where estate planning needs to be, because it's that emotional. It's meeting people where they are, mm-hmm. and not just you know being their lawyer. People get stuck at, in this process all the time, and if you are not equipped to have conversations, and you know you you're really you're not as helpful as as you could be you know there's this right. human element to what we do with lawyers there's always a human element it's just when we get kind of wrapped up in what we have to do and checking the boxes and you know making sure that eyes uh, are dotted and the t's are crossed we forget about that
0: you know right. um like right.
1: that bedside manner and that you know meeting people where they are whether You know, making things visual for them or just, you know, saying, Okay, I know that you are getting stuck because the following hasn't happened. You know, what can we do to help help move things along? You know, where are you getting stuck? And just understanding what is happening in that grief journey for someone is really important.
0: Right, right. And so you've recently published the inheritors guide. So Mm -hmm. tell us how this is Different and kind of what was the impetus for writing the second book?
1: So, the Inheritors Guide was published two weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah, congratulations! uh, Thank you, thank you. It was uh, really kind of this pandemic project, which I thought, oh, you know, I'm working from home, like I'll have all this time. No, that's not that's not how it actually worked out. But I'm very excited that it is uh, finally done and it's, it's available. So. This book was born um, not out of personal experience, actually, in terms of losing my parents. Thankfully, my parents are both alive and, and doing fine. Um, but it was really, it was, it was born out of experience that I had in my practice. So, my practice uh, has really two major practice areas we do estate planning and we do estate administration. And, uh, under estate planning, we maintain plans and we create new estate plans. And I, and I left that practice a little bit to develop the estate administration practice. So I have a partner, Kristen, who oversees all the planning and all of the maintenance. And I moved over to the administration side to kind of sit there for a while and, and develop processing systems and develop a team to handle those cases. And so over the last three years, I've really been working with families. Not just widows, but families who are uh, dealing with the loss of a parent, and really seeing what is actually happening there. And it's, while there's grief, it's different because there—it's not a spouse, right? So that kind of dependent relationship from isn't there, and not that you know spouses are dependent on their you know husbands or, you know, anything like that. It's just different. You know, you're not living with someone necessarily. You're not dependent on their income or their assets in the same way that a spouse is. But what happens with um, adult children is that there's a sibling. Uh, there are other people involved. There's a lot of kind of baggage associated with, you know, kind of those sibling relationships and there's a lot of nitty-gritty stuff that has to happen that is challenging clearing out mom and dad's house clearing out you know their clothes clearing out their personal effects finding information about what they had even the documents that they had the assets that they had it's just a different layer of challenges and while you know grief exists different. It's it's uh, it's a different form of grief that manifests in different ways. In, in writing the book, I interviewed a number of people, clients, as well as just uh, colleagues who had experienced the loss of a parent recently and, and just tried to understand what the challenges were. And, you know, there was a lot, I would say not one person that I interviewed um, who went through the loss of a parent with siblings said that you know, there weren't any sibling issues. There were always sibling issues of one form or another. And um, so the book was, it's really, was born out of this experience in working with clients, talking to people who've lost their parents and navigated this this whole um, administration process because I felt like there was a lot of miscommunication. And when there's miscommunication, there's, misunderstandings there's potential for conflict and just second guessing what is actually happening so frequently when mom and dad leave a will or a trust it's only one of the children who's appointed to serve in in that personal representative role or the trustee role and you know then there are other people other kids potentially who are not responsible for checking the boxes and doing the work working with the attorneys and they may not be communicating to the others what's actually happening, and it creates a lot of friction. And I wanted to write a book that would inform about the process, about the journey, about what to expect, what the timelines are, what should happen, what needs to happen, and creating checklists for you know how things need to get done and when they need to get done, not just for the, Child in charge of the administration, but everyone else involved as beneficiaries, in a way to really set expectations, realistic mm-hmm. expectations, for you know what, when when they could expect their inheritance or or not. You know, if there are just too many um, debts, or you know something like that. Um, And my sister-in-law is a psychiatrist and she had lost her mother five years ago, actually seven years ago, I'm sorry, and her father in November. And she agreed to contribute um, kind of to the emotional piece of what happens when uh, an adult child loses their spouse and the potential issues that can arise with siblings and the stress and the grief and how those t- types of emotions manifest to avoid kind of problems because the the worst thing that can happen, I think, you know, I'm not a litigator, so maybe the litigators will disagree with me, but, you know, having litigation that arises out of an administration, my goal was to create right. some transparency into the process to keep the peace. Right, right. I
0: remember when I was in law school, I also practiced uh, estate planning for a while. And I remember when I was in law school, the when we were discussing cases and you always saw in family law and in and particularly in probate cases, some of the worst, the most protracted litigation and some of the worst fallout because right. you're dealing with family turning against family. You know, and having, and having, and you just, you really see the true nature of people when there's a lot at stake and what it does to family relationships. So it's very much a topic that, you know, attorneys need to, attorneys in that area of practice need to really understand to try to help, help families uh, and help parents prepare so that they're not setting up those dynamics.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, it is it is devastating when you've lost a parent and then you have, you know, sibling issues. And this is what happens. I mean, I've seen this firsthand in in some of the clients I've worked with is that mom and dad are not there to be the you know the mediators in these Mm -hmm. little arguments and these little spats, and so they just escalate you know they escalate unless you know someone steps back takes a deep breath and like just gets perspective because you know this is how estates get decimated. i mean all you have to do is open up you know the paper you know at least once a month someone famous dies and then you know they either don't have an estate plan, and that's the news. Or the other news is that oh, yep, they're they're suing each other because you know maybe it's a blended marriage and their kids from the first marriage. So, you know, all the money went to the the new spouse you know, or something like that, or the money got left to the aide versus the kids. So you know, this this happens all the time. It is it is the ultimate you know family drama. But, you know, mom and dad are gone, so it would be much better if mom and dad could just prepare and prepare the kids for what's, what's happened and, and create a solid plan to avoid it. And, you know, if are sibling issues, you know, maybe the best thing to do is just not name either of them, you know, mm-hmm. as – the people in charge to keep the peace. I mean, there are different ways to solve for various problems, but you know, this is why I always wanted to have an estate planning and an estate administration practice because the administration, if you do both, you really become a much better planner because you can see how things actually work there, work out right. in the end, right? right. So you can Absolutely. you can anticipate, you know, some of these issues, and so it's really important to have a good relationship with your clients and open conversations about, you know, things like this, like, how do your kids get along? You know, how are they situated financially? How are they situated in their relationships? You know, how, you know, in making these simple, like, quote, unquote, simple decisions, right, of like, who's going to be the PR, or who's going to be the trustee, these end up being the, biggest decisions and potentially some of some of the fights that arises like well why did you get this role and you know wouldn't it be nice if mom or dad kind of wrote a letter this is why we appointed you because you know you you sally are just so busy you're you're so successful we have no doubt that you would have done this job but we just couldn't burden you with those or you know whatever the case may be um but there are ways to kind of plan around these Types of situations, but if if it's too late, right? You know, I had a, a a client call me two weeks ago about you know mom mom died, and she did not have an estate plan. It had uh, a very substantial estate. Mom was one hundred and one. Mom was one hundred and one. I mean, how did mom not have an estate plan? <laughs> but whatever, you know that that ship has hailed, So now we have this administration. And what ensues is, you know, what what always happens with these intestate administrations is, you know, we just pray for the best that everybody's going to get along and they're all going to be patient and that everyone is going to work together. (laughs) But (laughs) so if you if you don't get a chance to plan, you know, then you then you just have to administer and kind of educate people about what what is what is happening. And I really wanted to write this inheritors guidebook to inform educate and in a way try and speak to people in a way where you know they would fight less about things right because if there's more transparency in terms of the process my feeling was well at least they'll have a sense of what the timeline is and not blame the person in charge for for taking so long, for example.
0: Right.
1: And, and several other things, you know. I mean, people fight about the silliest things, you know. It's clearing out the house and somebody takes the one painting and nobody thought the painting had any significance until Sally comes along and says, "This was this was what I wanted. This is what mom and dad told me, you know. And the thing is probably worthless, but it's what, you know, what got taken away. When right. she wasn't looking, you know, and then all of a sudden there's a lack of trust, and so there are ways that you can administer and and just educate the families to just say, you know what, no, nobody's taking anything out of the house. You know, we have a process. We are going to be thoughtful about it, and we're just going to have to be patient. We're just going to. This is how this is going to work out, and we will have a way of dealing with all of these t- these tangible personal property items, and everybody will have their time right? Um, And that's just one example of, you know, what I think people should do, right? I mean, just, you have to wait and you have to have a process and you have to inform everybody in a way about, you know, how that simple thing is going to happen. Because in the end, it may not be so simple. It may be the thing that just triggers a whole other set of emotions and uh, creates distrust and misunderstandings. And then that leads to litigation. And that's what you know, I would want my clients to avoid at all costs.
0: Hi, you've shared some great information, but before we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about your business model and mm-hmm. for the women law firm owners listening to this. And because you have, you have a team of people and I'd like for you to share kind of who all's on your, you know, what positions you have in your team and how that evolved for you. Uh, you have written a couple of books and I'm sure all of these were very intentional decisions around not only having a greater impact to help all people, but also there was a business decision aspect that went into this, I'm sure. So can you share with oh, us yeah. a little bit about your firm and kind of your how your growth has tracked and evolved through the years and some of those key decisions that you feel you made along the way to create that kind of growth?
1: Absolutely. So so yeah, so I, um, I have an amazing team, and it is all about the people. It is always about the people, and I just am very blessed and grateful for the wonderful people in my firm that have come into my life. Um, so I have a partner who I actually hired as an associate uh, seven years ago, and she's grown into becoming my partner, and I'm just so delighted, Kristen um, is is with me, and she's, you know, she's just been amazing to to work with. Um, I also have another attorney um, who oversees kind of is starting to oversee the administration practice. Kristen oversees the estate planning practice, and then we have support teams. We have um, legal assistant, paralegal for with, within each practice area, and then I have my my right arm, Audrey, who is kind of in charge of operations and just kind of the billings and the operations and just systems and process. She is my systems and process person, you know, documenting everything so that we always have the numbers. And then I have an executive assistant, Emily, who I couldn't live without. She takes care of me and takes care of my my calendar and my schedule and, and tells me where I need to go and feeds me that's probably the most important thing is to make sure that I am I am hydrated and, and fed and um, I know what I'm doing on a daily basis so so in terms of the growth I have to say like the the biggest the biggest and most important decision that I made was I always had a paralegal and I always had kind of a, a legal assistant slash, um, Operations person from from really the very beginning because I really felt like I did never I never wanted to be in the position where I felt like balls would drop because I wasn't I wasn't doing the thing, and the way that I I worked into that was I mean this is maybe something useful for for young lawyers starting out is I made a list of everything that needed to happen on a daily weekly monthly basis and i circled all the things that i love doing i love doing then i circled all the things that i liked doing and then those ended up on the anna list and all those other things that i didn't like or hated doing ended up on the list of, I needed to delegate these out to someone else. And that's how I created my job descriptions early on. So whether it was the legal assistant, paralegal, or the kind of office manager person, that is how I created my job descriptions. And that is what I highly recommend that everybody do because it just allows you to work at your highest level and to do the things that you wanna do because you're gonna need the energy to, to do those things without being, you know, drowned by all the stuff that you aren't really good at and hate doing, and then it doesn't get done, and then you have a problem. So, with that said, my, my kind of biggest hurdle, and I think the biggest reason why I grew um, as I did. Uh, and I ultimately became as successful from kind of a revenue perspective was the hiring of another attorney. You know, I think I had this fear that, you know, this person was going to learn everything that I knew and then leave. And, you know, it just was very scary. And then it was also very scary of how am I going to pay for this person, right? That's like a big salary to pay. And I actually joined a coaching program to to kind of help me with kind of this next level of growth. It was clear that I was meeting success. It's clear that I was attracting clients. It's clear that I understood that I needed to have systems and process, but there was something missing. And so I joined this coaching program and I basically got pushed off the cliff <laughs> to hiring Hi. Kristen. And oh my goodness. I mean, just very clearly within... Two months, I knew that I made the right choice, and then every other hire after that became that much easier. Um, but that was that was the push that I needed in in and really the coaching. And I know that you do coaching, so I really appreciate all you do. Um, is is the growth in in understanding who you are as a person and developing leadership skills, not just you know not just to attract clients but to build a firm because you have to build systems and processes you have to build a team you have to train team you have to encourage their growth you have to monitor things to make sure that you know when you're hiring you're actually seeing you know kind of the revenue increases or you know what your numbers are at any given time So I I really credit, you know, this coaching program that I did and then um, in developing myself as as a leader and also in, um, you know, just finding people that were the counterbalance to what I offered. You know, I have Audrey who is totally systems and process and patterns and she loves digging into the numbers and seeing, you know, trends and discovering all of these different patterns that I wouldn't have the patience to look at. So developing a team with people that um, offer things that you don't do, that that are better at doing things that you don't like doing, right, that you need all of those different pieces to have a successful firm, because I never wanted to have, I never wanted to be a solar practitioner. I just felt like, gosh, I mean, I, I couldn't be good at any one thing, because I'd be too busy doing all of these different things so I couldn't really focus. So I always, from the very beginning, wanted to create a law firm that was a sustainable business and I tested it over the years. I frequently take at least a month off, if not six weeks off, you know, and just see what happens. I mean, I'm not allowed to check my email and other people have to figure out, you know, what to do when when I'm away. So I highly recommend that um, if you aren't getting coached, you get some coaching, if you don't have systems and process, if you don't have people, there's so many different ways to find those resources now, you know, you just have to look for them. And what else? I think to to grow, this was my mantra for so long, and I mean, I, I think it still is, is to grow. I have to let go, <laughs> right yeah. to grow, yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. let go yeah. and it's it's so true, you know the more you hang on to just being in control of all of the different things of being a lawyer in the estate planning side or the lawyer on the administration side, if you hold on to that, you will never grow. You will never grow the firm to be bigger and to perhaps even exist without you, which is my goal is I really want my firm. My both my companies to to continue to grow even when I'm I'm gone because I've created something that is bigger than me.
0: Yeah, and you know by doing this, um, you've created space to be able to have another second company and follow that passion exactly. and be able to write two books and follow those passions. And I think that's something that. You know, a lot of people are kind of have in their mind that they're going to do, but they can't let go of those details enough to allow them space to do it. They can't reconcile that. I need to, you know, if I want the bigger and better, you know, projects that are really dear to my heart, I have to get some help to manage these things, right? And one of the things that I, I want to point out before we wrap up is that I think really jumped out at me was the fear around hiring that first attorney. Because I know that that is where a lot of uh, women law firm owners can hire staff. They kind of, after they sort of get over that initial little part time, or, so, or maybe a lot of them sort of mm-hmm. bring a pair of them. But it is that attorney, that first associate attorney, there seems something about hiring a peer or something that, that is a little more challenging. And there's the fear that like, they're going to demand more, and I'm going to have to provide more compensation, I'm going to have to provide a good career experience, I'm going to have to provide all these things. So, so there's a lot wrapped up in our minds about hiring associate. But you said something that a lot of my clients have experienced, is that when they do, they immediately go, oh man, <laughs> like within just a few weeks <laughs> or months, they're going, well, why didn't I do this sooner? This is awesome. Oh, yeah. and then hiring right. after that does become easier once they sort of make that hurdle. So I appreciate you sharing your story on that because I, I I think that's a real sticking point for a lot of people. And yet once you do that, it's like opens the floodgates into your mindset and your ability to sort of uh, expand your capacity and handle more emotionally in terms of growth. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you being here. I could probably talk with you for like another hour, um, but we're going to wrap it up. And if you could tell us how we can, I know a lot of people are going to want to grab your books and check out your websites and follow you on social media. So let me share those details with us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So um, you can find my books on Amazon, but an easier way to find my books is just to go to my um, book webpage, which is annaburn.com. That's A N N A dot com. So, my books, The Widow's Guide and The Inheritor's Guide, are located there. If you're in Massachusetts, um, you are welcome to visit my law firm page, and that's Eckert com. That's E C K E R T B Y R N E dot com. And my uh, registered investment advisor company is KendallWolf com, and that's K E N D E A L L w-e-a-l-t-h dot com. So you're welcome to visit uh, any of my websites and um, look for my books also on Amazon. And thank you so much for having me as as a guest. It was uh, a bit of a walk down memory lane.
0: (laughs) I am really glad you were here and I enjoyed it so much. Uh, We will include those links in the show notes as well so people can just click on those links and go right to where they need to go. Um, Anna, it's been a
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash LEAGUE. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash LEAGUE. LEAGUE is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the LEAGUE.